Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I feel terrible right now. No, I mean it. Last time, I was talking about quarantine, right? And it's all fun and games, up until the point where you yourself start to feel really, really bad. Now, I don't know what's up with me. Um, I live in Ludza. That's very far away from Riga, and I don't want to get anyone else ill in case of whatever. So I have a 38 degree temperature and I have a cough, and I have a runny nose, so not sure if it's uh, Mr. COVID. I know that my sense of smell is gone, and that's one of those symptoms, but I don't know. I won't risk going out testing anything, but I feel terrible. However, I intend to finally catch up on all the episodes that I owe you, which means that I'll be trying to publish as much as I can for all of this quarantine, because I have literally nothing better to do. I can't go out and do my research anyways. Today we're going to be talking about illnesses, and how, well, that is, things have caused a ton of pain to Russia and to the Soviet Union, and if I sound a bit ill, then that's because I am. What I can do now is research and recording, I suppose. One of the craziest things that has come about is the fact that the Russian news agency, Sputnik, please don't mix it with Travis J. Dow's account on Twitter, though, but Sputnik, the Russian news outfit, claims, quote, very smart biologists and pharmacists in Latvia invented the new COVID-19 coronavirus. Other sources, by the way, close to the Kremlin say it was made in the British military's porting down facilities. If it was actually Latvians, then hey, good job, guys. And secondly, we would probably have a cure for that now, wouldn't we? Apparently, just once again, as usual, it's all about blaming everyone else, except, well, what actually happened. Russia observers from the European Commission have so far analyzed 80 different reports containing false or misleading information about coronavirus published by official Russian state media sites as well as platforms and authors 
with close ties to the Kremlin. And this whole thing seems to be just kind of another mission to create more confusion. And if you look at the excerpts of those reports, in all sorts of sites, one of them is EU versus Disinfo and all those things, and excerpts from them, well, the official sources, the European Union sites, call them <gasps> astonishing. But if you are an advanced listener of the Eastern Border Podcast, I've been here for a couple of shows at least. If you've been here for all of these years, then you know that um, if someone calls something happening in Russia astonishing, then for us comrades, it is known as Tuesday. Because what else? The authors note that it is easy to get the impression that the reports are entirely contradictory. And I'm now quoting the EU site about. For instance, the Oriental Review, e-journal with ties to Kremlin, writes, quote, When the panic is over, COVID-19 will have killed less people than a normal flu. The article argues that the current fears about the new coronavirus are racially fueled, because uh, obviously everything is racially fueled if you want it to be. Our good old buddy, you might have heard about him from other podcasts as well, but... Um, our good buddy, Alexander Dugin, yes, the same Dugin, who's a crazed nationalist from the Lost Time Theory and everything. Also, he's uh, the craziest Tsar Nikki supporter and a massive fan of Petr Kirill. He claims the exact opposite at Geopolitica, another Russian e-journal. Dugin states that, quote, When the virus will finish its victory march across the planet, it will have destroyed the existing world order. And he says that this is a God's punishment upon the Western lifestyle. And this virus can be compared to biblical plagues and vengeful ancient gods. Obviously, the plan there, the EU side states that the plan behind all this situation is just to, well, confuse Europeans. But I think it's mostly for the internal consumption, because... Again, and I think Mike Duncan recently published this in one of his episodes. If you want to be a racist and a supremacist at the same time about, like, anything, really, you treat whatever your opposition is just like the Russians treated the Japanese in the Russo-Japanese War. There, they stated that the Japanese are an existential threat that'll eliminate all humanity, and they are truly evil and, and super scary... However, they're also very, very weak and will be smashed easily by the far superior Russian military. And it always goes like this. Something is a super important mega threat, yet our good brave boys will smash it with ease. I mean, pick one, guys. Pick one. Either it's a massive threat or it's easily dealt with. I mean, why, why cause the panic? But the misinformation is real. And that's, that's what they do here. And again... I actually wish the virus had been in Latvia. That would kind of make me more proud about my country. And, and you know, I would at least feel that we have bioweapons labs now here. Which is just interesting. And again, last Wednesday, by the way, Dmitry Peskov, our nice leader, Putin's press secretary, strongly denied reports of a Russian coronavirus disinformation campaign, which was at that point printed in the Financial Times newspaper. Quote, we are talking about unsubstantiated claims that are, considering the situation, likely the result of an anti-Russian obsession. Peskov called the claims absurd, adding that no concrete evidence has been offered to substantiate them. Now, if you know a little something about Mr. Peskov, you'll also know that whatever he says, 
should be taken not with just a grain of salt, but it is super easy and safe to presume that anything that comes out from his mouth are blatant lies. And some stuff is, like, super weird. Because recently, everyone's trying to, you know, make some PR actions from this coronavirus issue, right? Especially in Russia. Like, all I can do is follow those news, guys, okay? So, there was a nice little public appearance of uh, Mr. Putin in the open. And Peskov was there as his press secretary. And what happened is that he wanted to take a picture with himself and Putin... Like, doing something, just just a PR pic. And we now have a picture and, like, a whole video where he explains to a nurse in a hospital how to take pictures of him and Mr. Putin. He gives her a smartphone, okay? Gives her a smartphone, shows her how to take a picture, and you can hear in the audio that he says, and then, after you've taken the pictures and after you've filmed the short video, send them to the only contact number in the phone... It's going to be called Dima, or Dmitri. And you can keep the phone for a week or so, but then you must destroy it. Actually, destroy it as soon as you can. And then she just goes around as if nothing had happened. All of this is very, very suspicious and, and weird. But, like I said, in most cases in Russia, when this thing first appeared, it was mostly about the fact that uh, how Americans have invented this coronavirus to genetically destroy the Slavic peoples. And I know that in the United States, some people are stating that this has been invented as a Chinese bioweapon. And I guess people just just like their nonsense in various ways or forms. But if you think about it, well, is Kremlin really behind all these random confusion things? Not coronavirus, obviously Kremlin's not behind coronavirus, but they are really, you know, trying to do their best to confuse everyone, right? British fake news expert Ben Nimmo, who regularly monitors the Russian media landscape and also kind of talks to me a lot through emails, he says that probably Putin didn't make this call personally. And I would have to agree with him because, for one, at this point, I think that Mr. Putin is put somewhere in the background and isn't really that much into the thing. I'm sorry if I'm not making much sense. Like I said, I'm super ill and I'm trying to make an episode. Because that's what I kind of have to do. But just so you know, right now, due to the oil prices, which I mentioned in the last episode, and everything associated with them, Putin's positions are super low, and they're just trying to use this as a PR measure and and just trying to get some benefits out of out of all of this situation. I wanted to talk about illnesses. Just that you know, the economical stuff isn't the only thing. See, at some point in the October. 2019, apparently, some nice British archaeologists discovered that Yersinia pestis, technically, the bacteria that caused the plague, technically comes from a town called Lyshevo in the historical Volga region, based on some evidence from one of their samples. Which is funny, because around those parts, uh, one of the most... (laughs) Hideous and bizarre uh, plague epidemics have spread in the future, too. So, let's talk about what were the weirdest diseases in Russian history that killed the most people, and who were the most important people they actually killed. At any rate, the worst plague that hit Russia, which probably originated in Russia itself, was the Moscow Plague, 
that lasted from 1654 to 1655. Just a year, but, well, thousands died. See, the plague spread to the capital of the Russian state from either Persia or Crimea, mostly from Crimea. According to accounts from that era, it came, quote, like a flame driven by the wind. In the summer of 1654, when the body count began to number in the thousands, the Tsar's court, the boyars, and all wealthy townspeople fled the city. By moving to Moscow suburbs and to other cities, they actually helped spread the infection throughout the land. Just as with coronavirus today, which is why I am not going to go and test myself, because that would be just, you know, counterproductive. And uh, the so-called mad stampede of the Streltsy officers and prison guards plunged Moscow into chaos, looting, and banditry. Quote, Patriarch Makarius III of Antioch, who was then a Russian state, wrote, The once crowded streets became deserted. Dogs and pigs devoured the dead and went wild. So no one dared to venture out alone for fear of being gnawed to death. Yeah, because, you know... When you uh, have to worry about the plague, then being gnawed to death by angry little gnawing dogs is going to at least your worries. At the end, well, the authorities did fight the epidemic, but it was half-hearted at best. Quarantines, such as the one that I am in right now, were established in infected areas, which were surrounded then by outposts and blocked off by soldiers. Soldiers who were, well, just as you would expect... Uh, told by, well, everyone to shoot those who would disobey the orders. I mean, who wouldn't, really? I mean... The houses and homesteads of those killed by the plague were ruthlessly burned down. The smoke of burning wormwood and juniper was used to fumigate objects and clothing, and troops eventually restored order to the capital, but, uh, yeah, losses were immense, and there were massive rumors of cannibalism and other such sad experiences. By the fall of 1654, the epidemic had been somewhat contained. The plague did not go westwards, where the army of Tsar Alexei Mikhailovich, at that point, was laying siege to the Polish-Lithuanian city of, well, at that point, Smolensk, and the northern territories also were kind of, you know, more or less untouched, but that's because of the brutal efficiency of the Stretsi Corps, which were pretty much just used to put down every possible straggler and anyone would try to escape from the affected territories. Death rate is somewhere between, well, wildly as with anything in Russian history, but the death rate from this plague is somewhere in between 25,000 people to 700,000 people. But in general, everyone agrees that around 70% of the population of Moscow perished. But that's not even the worst part. Sometimes you don't need plague. Just ask cholera of 1830 to 1831. Oh boy. That apparently was a... One of those super fun years to be alive. You see, the deadliest disease of the 19th century, and we should be really happy that we've finally got rid of this, because coronavirus and... oh, The worst part about coronavirus, guys, I don't know, because I hadn't had this with the flu, is the fact that your nose isn't full, you just don't smell things, and it feels bad, and I hope it's just calm and cold, but then I would have some running nose, but whatever. At any rate, cholera popped up in Russia at about 1820s, but it wasn't as deadly back then. It did uh, come back with a terrible vengeance lately, though. 
In the 1830s, the epidemic, which had already devastated Georgia and the Volga region, and would ultimately claim around 200,000 lives in Russia, that's either a lot more than the plague or less than half from the plague, but that's how sadly we have sources about, you know, deadliness of these diseases from eras when people just didn't write down their stuff as carefully. All this is you'd like nonchalantly from afar in Moscow. In the reports. I mean, you can really read about this in reports, and that's how they view a lot of things these days as well. Muscovites believe that their more northerly climate would protect them from all sorts of diseases. Quote, We'll drive it away with smoke and take advice from doctors, wrote the magazine Moscow Telegraph. The best cure is a bold, lively spirit, carefulness, not timidity, precaution, not fearfulness. However, in the fall, the cheerful good move gave way to horror. As the number of victims climbed exponentially, the authorities closed universities and public spaces. And, as usual, banned all forms of public entertainment and set up quarantine zones everywhere. The early winter that year had prevented the epidemic from entering the capital, but in April 1831, the first outbreaks of the disease were recorded in St. Petersburg, and in summer, it spread like wildfire. Alexander Nikitenko, a resident of the city of St. Petersburg, wrote, quote, This hellish melody is rampant. Go outside and you'll see dozens of coffins on the way to the cemetery. It is like the apocalypse has arrived. People wander among the coffins as if it condemned to death, not knowing if their death knell has already sounded. General discontent with the quarantines and cordons, which badly affected trade, led to the so-called Holera riots that swept through the cities of the Russian Empire. Moreover, the Polish uprising was in full swing, giving rise to an anti-Polish sentiment in society. But that again, Poland has influenced so much various revolutionary stages and revolutionary events that it's not a surprise even. At that point, it was rumored that Poles went around poisoning kitchen gardens and wells by night. Then other places it would be Jews, but at that point, Jews were mostly driven out of the central parts of the Russian Empire, and, well, here in the Baltics, so I guess Poles just had to do. And, yeah, obviously, people were lynched in the streets. And now, something that, again, hit everything super hard as um, the Spanish flu, which happened right as the revolution hit in. It's 1918, 1919, and they were talking about something kind of close to what we're observing today, except with way more death, really. Obviously, that Spanish flu killed up to 100 million people worldwide, but it was bizarre. The Spanish flu smacked in the Russian Empire in August 1918 through Belarus and Ukraine, and it hit Kiev super hard. Onwards to Moscow and St. Petersburg, where approximately 50% of inhabitants fell ill from that. Spanish flu killed 2.7 million people in about a year in Russia, which amounted to about 3% of the country's total population. In Odessa, by the way, when Victor was the selling movie star Vera Holonadonaya, the pandemic made no exception for the country's new leadership either. In March 1919, Yakov Sverdlov, the, quote, Black Devil of the Bolsheviks, I talked about Mr. Sverdlov in the Lenin series, well... He also died from all this situation. But if we're talking about plagues and famous things, I'm going to have a nice little detour to talk to you about the other nice, super famous illness that is associated with Russia. 
the Siberian Plague, as we call it here, anthrax. That's tied with um, the global warming as well. And the problem is that due to how Russia works, lately um, they started vaccinating people against anthrax. See, in Russia's far north, in the Nynets region, where the Nynets people live, authorities have been uh, fighting an outbreak of the Siberian Plague, which again is called anthrax in the west, but even in Latvia we call it Siberian Plague. Right now, at this point, more than 2,000 reindeer have died, and about 90 uh, local tribe members have been hospitalized, of which 53 are children. The problem is that no one cares because all the medicine is uh, stuffed with, hmm, guess what, coronavirus and not having enough money. And Anna Popova, the head of Russia's kind of public health service, Rospotrebnozor, stated that, quote, children were infected as a result of additional customs. You see, some families in Ninets still drink deer blood and eat raw meat. Because, you know, that gives them nutrients and vitamins, and, well, they just grow up and do it this way. In accordance with tradition, children remove the reindeer veins with their teeth. They make threads out of reindeer blood vessels, Popova explained. She added that it was impossible to avoid infection in such a situation. Private property, such as teepees, sleighs, clothes, and household items, were burned in order to contain the infection. A massive vaccination campaign is underway in the region for both people and animals. And, obviously, we have some nice little drone monitoring going on. And, well, this is somewhat caused by a huge mistake of Russia's part. You see, Russia has not maintained the system for mandatory deer vaccination that existed in the USSR. And anthrax spores are not destroyed by extreme cold temperatures like those in Siberia, and they can live for about 100 years. And the recent month-long temperatures uh, are like the fact that it's getting warmer are the main reason for the epidemic in Yemal. The heat has melted the top layer of the permafrost, specifically with the past uh, Siberian forest fires, which happened last year. Well, they melted them. And now these spores were ingested by animals, weakened by heat. Everything's going kind of crazy. Even though uh, every surrounding region was vaccinated against this, this region of Yamal Ninetsk, where about 700,000 reindeer live, which is about 44% of Russia's total amount of reindeer, yeah, no one really cared to vaccinate these guys. But, hey... Let's move away from, like, one plague to another one, but, well, people are getting evacuated, and this call looks pretty bad. But, I guess disease is gonna stick with us for a long while. But to finish this whole thing up, because, boy, I truly, truly want to just go to sleep right now, and sleep off my terrible, terrible, terrible illness. I'm gonna talk about famous people of Russia who managed to die. From various illnesses. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on Patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So, how did our Russian ruler buddies die? Well, for one, let's start with the oldest one, Peter the Great, who had a lot of neurological problems, including asthma, and his kidneys didn't work at all as well. Peter, according to his fellow contemporary Russians, had, quote, beautiful features and noble posture, and he was very, very tall. Uh, He was two meters and three centimeters tall, or six feet and eight inches. The Tsar, however, had extremely poor health. He was thin, poor his towering frame, and suffered from several illnesses during his, well, all of 52 years. From time to time, Peter would seemingly become enraged for no reason. At a parade once, a Danish ambassador wrote, The Tsar attacked a soldier with a sword, grimacing and physically shaking. At the time, Peter was experiencing powerful seizures that only his wife and successor, Catherine I, knew how to stop. Peter died in 1725, but researchers still debate the reasons for his behavior. Nikolai Pukowski, a contemporary psychologist, suggests epilepsy. Other specialists, quoted by the writer Boris Akunin, speculated that the Tsar had Tourette syndrome. Akunin noted that neither of these diseases impairs intellectual activity, but they certainly did make Peter's life difficult. Apart from his neurological ailments, the emperor also dealt with asthma, requiring regular visits to mineral springs for treatment. His death, however, was caused by a kidney disease that worsened after Peter had, quote, saved several sailors from a sinking boat. And then we get to the famous things. Well, son of Alexei, son of Tsar Nicholas II, bloody Nicky, Nicky II... Oh, yeah, if you listen to the Revolutions podcast, you know whom I'm talking about. Alexei Romanov died at the age of 14, lived from 1904 to 1918, the only son of Russia's last Tsar, Nikki II. Yeah, he never claimed to the throne that he was brutally murdered, in a way. That's why I'm kind of putting him here, because his disease causes murder, in a way. But he was extremely brutally murdered, together with the rest of his family. However... Hay had a lot of issues, and one of them was his hemophilia, which he managed to inherit from his mummy, Alexandra, who was herself a granddaughter of England's Queen Victoria. That condition meant that every cut or bruise that young Alexei got was potentially life-threatening, as his blood couldn't clot properly to stop bleeding. Little Nicky, 
not to be confused with the bloody Nikki, had two guards follow his everywhere, but even that couldn't avert all risks. Several times in his life, Alexei suffered injuries that put him on the verge of death. In 1917, when Alexei was 12, a doctor to the royal courts stated that hemophilia made the Tsarevich unlikely to live for more than 16 years. The question whether the boy might have outlived the, the prediction was, well, yeah, that was rendered moot, because if you are a proper communist, then you know that a bullet to the head or maybe ice pick solves hemophiliac problems with extreme efficiency. And then we, of course, come to Lenin. Oh boy, the theories about Lenin. For one, the current going theme of the official sources is that uh, the Lenin was killed by progressive atheosclerosis. However, it was syphilis. The conspiratorial part of me wants to say that it was syphilis. And the medical side that I'm taking most of this uh, scientific data from quotes uh, Lenin as being hard-working and energetic, the leader of the October 17th revolution, burned out in less than two years from a mysterious disease. Yeah, because the Soviets would never admit that it was syphilis, which he had gotten, like, a long time ago. But, yeah... You know, people now debate this, but as the scientist Yuri Lopuchin explains in his book on Lenin's death, in 1924 at Digi 53, quote, In succession, doctors diagnosed the patient with three diseases he didn't have and treated him in error. Neurasthemia, chronic lead poisoning, and neurosyphilis. Uh, totally did have neurosyphilis, though. An autopsy showed that Lenin died of progressive arthiosclerosis, partially caused by damage to his cardiovascular system from wounds suffered in a 1918 assassination attempt. However, he also totally had syphilis. I think I spoke about that on the episode on Lenin. Like I said, guys, I'm, I'm very sorry about the randomness about this episode. I'm just pushing myself to work, otherwise I'll just be constantly sleeping, and then that's not going to be much fun, really. Anyway, Brezhnev, however, had the most fun study with him. He had tons of central nervous system and heart issues, as he was one of the nice little starperi who managed to be on the throne. He was the longest-serving general secretary. He saw his health deteriorate during the last of his 18 years in office. Then again, by modern-day standards, only 18 years, Putin has beaten him. And as such citizens, most part, made jokes about Brezhnev, and I'm kind of just, you know, waiting until we start making the same stuff about Putin, because one of the nice little jokes about Brezhnev was the fact that Brezhnev does not need to understand what's going on. He's so epic at being a leader that he rules the country unconsciously, which is awesome. What many didn't realize was that Brezhnev was sick long before his symptoms started to show. The historian Victor Denninghouse notes... Metaphorically speaking, if he had worked as a postman, not a politician, he would have lived longer. According to Denninghouse, Brezhnev had his first heart attack in 1951, more than a decade before leading the Communist Party. Years of working after hours, chain smoking, and constant nervous tension also took their toll. From the late 1970s, he couldn't sleep without pills, which also damaged his heart. Maybe Brezhnev would have gotten better if he could retired. But, well, find a single Soviet or modern Russian leader who would like to retire without being forced to. Basically, he died from another heart attack, put on there by his long, long illnesses. So, you know, over there, or here, in eastern border, we're used to life-threatening diseases and pain and damage, so this new virus, that'll probably won't hurt us too much. 
And I'll try to make my best with what I can here. The biggest problem is the fact that I really don't know what I've actually caught. Because, uh... It's not as easy as it seems because I can't get myself uh, tested in any way or form. But, hey, I have two options here. Either I, well, sit down and do nothing and just, you know, sleep all the time. Or I try to make episodes. And making episodes works better for me. I want to get on that boat, but we'll see about that. I think I'm just going to spew out all the stuff that I've missed for now. Do svidanya, tovarish. Oh, yeah, and please support the show. I hope that my head won't explode. And if you're new to the show, please listen to our older episodes. This is definitely not a representative one. Stay safe, stay healthy, and take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.